Good morning, Maranatha. This is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable, and I'm so glad to be able to join with you today as we begin Holy Week, counting down to commemorating and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, and the love of God that caused all of these events to transpire. So today, as we move forward into Holy Week, Good Friday, and Resurrection Sunday, I want to talk to you uh, about the last words of Christ, the sayings of Jesus while on the cross, the last words of Christ while on the cross. So let's begin to move forward. Let me make a few statements to begin with. When anyone dies, a frequent question that people have is, did he or she say anything at the end? And we want to know what those last words were. And we're hopeful that there will be a final acknowledgement that they understood how much we loved them and that they received Jesus as their Savior before leaving this earth and, 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 and that they had a word of, of, of forgiveness for us if it was necessary so that we could go on knowing that in their heart there was no ill will. There's the people on death row. People are interested to know when they are given their sentence of death and they're strapped to the gurney and given the shot. Do they have any last words? Some have asked for forgiveness from the families that they have they have hurt through their crime. Others uh, have other words to say. Everyone is interested in someone who is dying to hear what their last words are. Someone gave me a book one time that it was the last words and the last sayings of many Christians when they were passing. And what a joy it was to read of the faith and the hope and the peace that they had, even the anticipation of leaving this old world and and crossing that that river of Jordan, as they call it, amen. Not that they said those exact words, but crossing over from this world into the next. So Shakespeare once wrote in his play, Richard II, and I quote, the tongues of dying men enforce attention like deep harmony where words are scarce they are seldom spent in vain for they breathe truth that breathe their words in pain friend when jesus was dying on the cross he gave many in fact there's six or seven important statements many people preach on the seven sayings of jesus from the cross. I want to preach today on two of these sayings from the cross. The last of Jesus when he was physically dying, just like any other human would die on the cross, enable us to see the very core, the very heart of Jesus. So today we are going to look at the first and the sixth of his sayings from the cross. And the first word is in Luke twenty three thirty four for the reference. There are other references chosen this one. It said, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
and they parted his garment and cast lots. That means the the people at the bottom of the cross, the guards, were going to take his garments from him when they took him down from the cross, and they were casting lots to see who would get them. They were gambling for his clothes while he was suffering and dying for you and for me. Remember, before Jesus was nailed to the cross, he experienced some awful things. He was flogged. This was usually done with a whip that had bits of bone or metal embedded into it. The effect was to tear up the back of the person. Following the whipping, we are told that the soldiers mocked and beat Jesus. They dressed him up as a king with a crown of thorns on his head. Then they beat him and spit on him. They hurled insults at him. And what I want us to see here today is that Jesus was physically abused to the point that he could have and should have died through that abuse. But it wasn't over. Not only was he physically abused, in fact, prophetically of this event, it said his visage was marred more than any man's. They beat him to such an extent that Pilate actually thought when he brought him out after the beating that that would satisfy the bloodlust. But they wanted him killed, and they wanted him killed in a tortured death. Crucify him was the cry from the crowd. There was there was no compassion. They wanted him dead, and they wanted him to hurt as long as he could hurt before he died. As you recall, the soldiers made Jesus carry his cross. He was humiliated. You know, the scripture said that Jesus went to the cross despising the shame, not just the pain of it, but the shame of it. Jesus was being showcased to the people as a vile criminal. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus was executed publicly. People stood around and waited for him to die. Every gasp, every twitch from pain, every moment of struggle was watched by the crowd. He couldn't even talk with his family or friends he could holler out to them from the cross, but there, they, 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 there was no one to comfort him. But that wasn't the final insult. As he was hanging on the cross, the guards were literally gambling because they had stripped him and they wanted to see who would get his clothes. That was worse than a family fighting about the will or before someone died or after they died. It's like watching all your possessions sold before your very eyes. There was no dignity in his death. Jesus died a shameful death. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus not only suffered the, uh, the, at the hands of his enemies, he was denied and forsaken by his friends, and yet the first cry from the cross is for forgiveness. The very core of the gospel, dear friend, is the great truth that God desires reconciliation and restored fellowship with fallen man. Jesus took our punishment. He took our place so that we might be forgiven 
the people who had beat Jesus and mocked Him and nailed Him to the cross did not deserve forgiveness. But Jesus, through His kindness, through His agape love, offered it to them. The point is that forgiveness reaches out to the undeserving. That's the nature of mercy. That is the purpose of grace. The whole drama of the cross is the enactment of forgiveness. The reason why Jesus came and the reason He allowed them to beat Him, scourge Him, curse Him, spit on Him, shame Him, nail Him to the cross. Someone has said that man is never more like God than when he forgives. I want to give you a, a true story. It happened here in in where our our base of operations is here in Tampa, Florida. Chris Carrier of Coral Gables, Florida, was abducted when he was ten years old. His kidnapper, angry with the boy's family, burned him with cigarettes, stabbed him numerous times with an ice pick and then shot him in the head and left him to die in the Everglades. Remarkably, the boy survived, though he lost sight in one eye, and no one was ever arrested for the crime. Recently, a man confessed to the crime. Carrier, now a youth minister, went to see him. He found David McAllister, a 77-year-old ex-convict, convict rather, frail and blind, living in a North Miami Beach nursing home. Carrier began visiting often, reading to McAllister from the Bible and praying with him. His ministry opened the door for McAllister to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness that he did not in any way deserve. No arrest was forthcoming. There wasn't any evidence other than his confession. After 22 years, the statute of limitations or the crime was long past. In Christian Reader, January and February, back in 1998, this is a quote, Carrier says, while many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister, from my point of view, I could not not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or spent my life looking for revenge, then I wouldn't be the man that I am today, the man my wife and children love, the man God has helped me to be. You see, David McAllister didn't deserve forgiveness. He beat and tortured a little child, left him for dead in the Everglades. Chris Cart Carrier had the Christ-like heart to forgive him. Now, I'm going to tell you, this kind of forgiveness is not natural. This is supernatural. And the love of God is not any love that we could ever know in the natural it is supernatural. It is powerful. And when a Christian releases that love, forgiveness can occur no matter what the sin or the hurt or the harm that we have endured. Brethren, we must likewise forgive people who don't deserve it. We are to forgive others just as God 
has forgiven us. In Mark 11 and verse 25, Jesus says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You would have to be absolutely, perfectly sinless to withhold forgiveness because you wouldn't qualify to be forgiven. And the Bible says very clearly, if we, if we say we have no sin, we, we're not being, listen, we're not just being disingenuous. We are lying and we're not telling the truth before God. And friend of mine, I can't afford and dare I say you can't afford to not be forgiven. Part of the pattern prayer for us to pray is that the Father would forgive us our debts conditioned upon this, that we forgive those who trespass against us, forgive our debtors. It's always conditional, amen. There's always a condition to our forgiveness. And the Bible's clear. Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will the Father in heaven forgive you yours. I can't afford that. Dear friend, you can't afford that. We can't afford that. If Christ could cry, Father, forgive them from the cross in such agony, such pain, such shame and humiliation. Oh, friend, we must have a heart to forgive. Chris Carrier found the capacity to forgive the undeserving because the greatest forgiver was living in his heart. And man, indeed, is never more like God than when he forgives because God is never more like God than when he forgives. Of all the world's religion, only Christianity offers complete forgiveness. Only the Bible, consisting of Old and New Testaments, reveal to us an infinite personal God who has a plan by which He completely forgives the sins of everyone and anyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And this God not only forgives sins, but He forgives them forever. What is, what, what, what is this wonderful biblical forgiveness? There's several words used for forgiveness in the Bible. Three Hebrew words in the Old Testament and four Greek words in the New Testament. The first Hebrew word is kephar, which is, and don't, don't, don't blame me if I don't say it as it sounds in the Hebrew. I'm just hyphenating it to explain it is kefir, from which we get the meaning to cover, to cover, as in to cover or blot out our sins. The second in the Hebrew is nasa, which means to bear, to take away. That's like the scapegoat who they beat and threw stones at, and a, a strong man led him out so far in the wilderness he couldn't find his way back, and he would be killed by a bear or a lion or a wolf. Oh, friend, Jesus bore our sins, and that's what it means for him to take our sins upon himself. The third word is salak, 
which is used only in reference to God forgiving the sins of people. It means to pardon, as in our God who will freely pardon us. In Isaiah 55 and verse 7. In the New Testament, you find the first Greek word, and I'm just going to tell you what it means. There's several of them, but this one, A-P-O-L-U-E-I-N, Apollyon, which means to release. There's also a wonderful word, charizoma, which comes from the word charis or grace, and it means to grace you, to freely give you heaven when you and I deserve hell. What a beautiful word. The third word is Ephesus. Ephesus from the Greek word Ephemi, to send away. Finally, there is Parasis, which means to disregard. This word is used in context that God will not see our offenses, but he will disregard them. Hallelujah. You know what the Bible says about God's forgiveness? It says that as it is written in the new covenant, quoting the old covenant, as it is written, I will cast their sins away from them as far as the east is from the west, and their sins will I remember no more. When missionaries first come to Labrador, they found no word for forgiveness in the language. So they had to make one which meant not being able to think about it anymore. Now, I have heard many Christians say this. They have said, I can forgive, but I can never forget. Friend, if you can't forget, it it doesn't mean that you can erase all of the files uh, that have been filed into your conscious mind. You can't do that, but you can choose not to focus on it any longer, not to dwell on it, not to think about it and have it create the anger, the resentment, and the unforgiveness anymore. This is a time, this holy week, when Jesus suffered such a great, such a great, hideous, horrible death on the cross for us and cried in his pain and shame, forgive them, Father. We must forgive. That's why the Bible said, if God, for Jesus' sake, and make no mistake about it, we have nothing in ourselves innate to us that deserves forgiveness. But God, for Jesus' sake, forgives us. So ought we to forgive one another. And I would pray this holy week that if there's unforgiveness in your heart, it doesn't matter what the sin was. It doesn't matter what the crime was or the insult or the betrayal or the hurt or the wrong. What matters is that God, for Jesus' sake, has forgiven you. And we, for Jesus' sake, should forgive one another. Hallelujah. And if we do, we will, we will, <laughs> we will find the weight of that burden of, 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 of anger and resentment lifted from us. There's a liberty. There's a freedom in forgiveness. And there is a power released when we forgive because we now can say, 
Father, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven them who have trespassed against us. And be assured that our sins, our trespasses are fully and completely forgiven. This forgiveness is free, dear friend, but it came at a great cost. It came at the cost of Christ suffering and dying on the cross and on the way to the cross. Amen. The sixth word from the cross is a word of accomplishment. John 19 and verse 30 said, When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished does not refer to his ordeal or suffering only. He was about to be about to be received by the mercy of death. No, it refers to the mission he came to accomplish. The reason he came into this fallen world. Jesus executed God's game plan perfectly and fulfilled his mission on the cross. Interesting to me, Jesus used the Greek word tetelestai, for it is finished. The word means paid in full. When a debt was fully paid, the word would be written on a loan document, a will, or a letter. In the first century, when people had paid their debt in full, they would shout the word tetelestai. It was a shout of triumph. A shout of victory. When Jesus said, It is finished, He used one word, Tetelestai, declaring the victory. And through His victory, we become victorious. It is said some years ago, I read where they, they actually dug up a, a sealed vessel that, that had within it a, a paid in full deed to a piece of property. And it was stamped with the very word that he shouted that it takes three of our English words to translate. It is accomplished. It is finished. Or literally paid in full. I want you to know your sin debt, not the half, but the whole, was paid in full when Jesus was dying for you and dying for me on the cross. And I want you to know it is finished. It is accomplished. It's done forever. Satan's domain suffered a cosmic defeat at Calvary. The accuser of the brethren could no longer accuse those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God's salvation plan has now been completely and eternally accomplished. Christ's atoning blood has been sprinkled on the mercy seat once and for all. The serpent's head has been crushed. God and fallen man can now be reconciled. At the cross, God cries out that someone wants you, that someone loves you, that someone paid an infinite price for you. To undervalue ourselves is an insult to the one who made us. 
in the light of a loving creator, we need never feel useless, worthless, unwanted, uncared for, unvalued or unloved, abandoned or estranged from God, yes, but loneliness and self-esteem can be gone now forever. Listen to Ephesians 2 and verse 19. It says, Now you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Dear friend of mine, I want you to know today that as we enter this holy week, God wants to love you. Somebody wants you. Somebody loves you. Somebody paid an infinite price for you. A Romanian missionary writes this, and I quote, Romanian orphans regularly wander the streets of Budapest with no home. The authorities find these homeless children under bridges, in back alleyways, in apartment hallways. Sometimes these orphans are left as babies on the steps of hospital entryways. They have no name, no birth certificate, and no passport. Listen, our passport as Christians is written in blood and our identity papers are stamped with the cross of Calvary. Our birth certificate is signed by the Creator and initialed in red ink by the cross. We are the bona fide sons and daughters of the living God and we are here today gathered together on this website, entering into this holy week to declare that victory is ours because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Some scholars tell us that Jesus shouted, It is finished, with a mighty victory shout, not the gasping whisper of one defeated by death, but the one who has conquered death and would say some would say like a lion's roar oh i like that you know why because satan goeth about as a roaring lion but jesus christ is the lion of the tribe of judah glory be to god tetelestai it is accomplished tetelestai it is finished today with gathered here on this website to begin this holy week good friday when he was crucified sunday morning when he was raised from the dead for our justification and it all began at the cross and it was sealed the victory was sealed that's why god raised him up he said Tetaleste, it is accomplished. It is finished. The sin debt is paid in full for everyone that would come to Him, repent of our sins, receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. Hallelujah. Friend of mine, I want you to know today, God loves you. You have value beyond any way to count it. You're so valuable. 
God gave His Son. And Jesus gave His life. God wants you to be His child. God wants to forgive every sin that you have ever committed. God wants to to wash your record clean. Hallelujah. Praise God. And He wants you to come to Him in childlike faith and receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of righteousness and the gift of His mercy, the gift of His grace, and the gift of His gracious Son, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, I want to talk to you first today. This is a time, as the song we used to sing, I keep falling in love with Him over and over and over again. This is a time to fall in love with Jesus all over again and to show gratitude to Him for forgiving you, not just by saying thank you to the Lord, but by forgiving anyone and everyone that has in any way harmed you or offended you so that you can be forgiven. You were already forgiven when you got saved. This is not about your relationship with God. This is about your fellowship with God. Amen. God wants to draw you close. God wants to hold you tight in these perilous times. Let's get our hearts clear and cleansed today. As the psalmist prayed, after he had been forgiven, he said, Lord, create in me. Psalm 51, a clean heart, O God. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. (laughs) Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Then sinners will be converted unto thee and transgressors will learn thy ways. Hallelujah. When they see the King forgiven and forgiving, (laughs) hallelujah, they will learn something about God himself. Friend of mine, it's time to draw close to God, to have our hearts cleansed this holy week, to thank Him for the cross and serve Him wholeheartedly and commemorate His death on Good Friday and celebrate His resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. Hallelujah. Today, if you don't know Jesus... He loves you. He gave His Son for you. What more could He do? What more could He do? It's not just that He says it in His Word, for God so loved. It's what He did to prove that love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't just give Him to lay in a manger and evoke sentimental feelings for this pure, holy child. He laid in that manger so he could grow into a man, so he could go to the cross, suffer like no one has ever suffered, pay a sin debt that no one could ever pay except him in our behalf. 
You have worth. You have value beyond your wildest imagination or dreams. And it's not too late. And you haven't done too much. He's calling you this holy week as you think about the cross and the resurrection. He's calling you. Come to me. Repent of your sin. Receive my son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. And I will welcome you with open arms. That's why he suffered. That's why he died. So you could be forgiven. And God stands ready to forgive you and receive you. Oh, friend, what a gift that God is offering you today in Jesus Christ. Don't run from him. Don't take your life if you've ever contemplated or are contemplating. I have no reason to live. You have every reason to live. To be forgiven and to forgive is the greatest thing you can do with your life right now. In Jesus' name.